thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Throughout the Bible, we find a number of phrases that seem to be the favorite verses of Jesus or favorite phrases that he would use. He would use them often. Uh, He would say, fear not. He would say, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you. But there was one phrase that we find mentioned throughout the Bible in that list of most commonly used phrases, and that phrase is, follow me. It's both an invitation and a command. Follow me. And if you look at the earthly ministry of Jesus, from a strictly human standpoint, if you look at the earthly ministry of Jesus, you might think it didn't go so well. Now, we do understand that the earthly ministry of Jesus was a part of an eternal cosmic plan of redemption that God had before there was any, let there be anything. But we find that the earthly ministry of Jesus was marked with all manner of things that from a human standpoint, if we were looking at it, we might not look at it as a success. You have his humble beginnings. He was born a little baby. He was, he was born relatively unknown. You have a long period of time, years pass, and we have biblical records of Jesus appearing here, or Jesus appearing there at different times in his growth, but we don't have a lot of information about his early life. And then he suddenly comes on the scene around the age of 30, and he goes to the Sea of Galilee, and he calls his first disciples, and he tells them to follow me. And you find that from that humble beginning, we find that more people begin to follow. He begins to teach, and more people begin to hear him teach. When he begins to preach, more people hear him preach. We find that he's, he's performing miracles. There are signs and wonders that he's performing, and all these people are coming, and all these crowds are coming. And you would think that at those moments, Jesus would be the most careful and the most precise about what he wanted to say from a human standpoint in order to keep the crowds there, in order to keep the groups of people there, in order to have more and more and more growth. But then you find Jesus doing something, not just once, but repetitively throughout his earthly ministry that seems to just drive us crazy. And that is that Jesus seems bent on driving people away from him. He says things at the high points of his ministry from a human perspective that drives people away from walking any further with him. You find in Luke chapter 14, it's where we're going to be today, verse 25. I just want to read uh, down to verse 27 initially. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So you find that there are all these people who've been following Jesus. There are certainly people who were following Jesus because he was talking about a kingdom. And they were thinking, ah, Jesus is going to come. He's going to kick out Rome. Israel will rise to a place of prominence again. We're going to have national peace and national prosperity. And their national identity had become their national idolatry. 
And so now Jesus says to them, it's not about an earthly kingdom. It's about my kingdom. My kingdom comes first before any nation, before any country. And it's a blow to the nationalists of the day. And then you have the people who are just coming for the, for the, for the, the party, people who were showing up because of the signs and the wonders and the miracles, the people who were showing up and Jesus was multiplying bread and fish and they were getting their fill. And Jesus tells them, hey, it's not about comfort. It's not about prosperity. It's not about your ease because following me requires you to give up your own life. So you have the people who were just following the dinner and a show crowd. He's separating the true follow me disciples from that crowd. You have people probably who were following Jesus. Well, we know biblically they were following Jesus. We're going to look at one of them today who said, look, it's about the rules and regulation, the do's and the don'ts. And I'm following all the Ten Commandments and I'm being such a good moralistic person. And Jesus says, it doesn't count. You have to give up your life. It's not about doing all the right things and saying all the right things and going all the right places and checking all the boxes. No, he says, it's about following me. And then atop that, if there was anybody there in the crowd, maybe some of the disciples who were excited looking out at the crowd. I mean, how many of us have been to an event, seen masses of people and thought, this is so exciting. Look at all the people. And Jesus says, it's not about the people. If they're not truly following me, Henry and Richard Blackaby uh, famously in their book, Spiritual Leadership, said that the seduction is that we believe that God is as impressed by crowds and people and numbers as we are, and he's not. They go on to say that if, if numbers alone is evidence of God's blessing on a ministry or organization, then God must be blessing a lot of the cults more than he's blessing the church of Christ today. So we can't go by these particular things. Jesus narrows it down in this day to who are the few true followers of Christ. And can I just tell you, he's still doing the same thing with these words today. Because we want to dumb them down and we want to water them down and say, well, he really didn't mean. No, he meant exactly what he said. And just as he dealt with the, the people who were nationalistic idolaters of the day, so too with us. The kingdom of God become, comes before any earthly kingdom, any earthly nation, including America. The kingdom of God comes first. Anything other than that is idolatry. Put it on the same level, it's idolatry. Flat out idolatry. If we, you know, if we look to the prosperity gospel and the prosperity preachers of the day, Jesus strikes a blow to them and a death blow to their teaching just as much as he did to the prosperity seekers of his own day. And he's saying, no, it's not about health, wealth, and prosperity. You're going to die to self. You may actually even suffer here on earth. He looks at the legalists of today, the people who check the boxes and do, uh, has all the do's and don'ts, and he says, it's not about that. You have to love me more than anything else. And then he strikes a blow in language like this to every church go- growth guru who ever wrote a book, who ever uh, like started a conference and saying, here's the way that you can multiply the number of people in your church, because we all know that if you just have a, tons of people, then they must be doing something right. Not necessarily. And then you have Jesus who did everything right, trying to get rid of people. What is going on? Because Jesus is clarifying for us and for them, what does it mean to be a true follower of Christ? And that means you have to be a cross bearer. That's what it ultimately means. It's a cross bearer. 
And Jesus gives in this passage some of the characteristics of what it means to be a true follower of Christ. Not a pretend follower of Christ, not a Jesus, etc. kind of follower, Jesus and plus some other stuff. Not a legalist, not a prosperity gospel person, not a church growth minded person, no. He says, these are the things that you will find in the life of someone who is a true follower of Christ. Because a cross-bearer, first of all, cross-bearing requires personal surrender. Notice what he says in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There is an element of personal surrender for each one of us, his own, her own. We must each have a personal surrender. Cross-bearing is not optional. If we start saying, well, you know, I'd love to follow Jesus, but I, you know, the, that kind of following, that's just for those super spiritual people. You better read the text. If anyone does not take up his own cross, he cannot be my disciple. Ultimately, according to Jesus, if we're not bearing the cross, we're not even his. So we find that cross-bearing requires a personal surrender. And notice, it's a personal surrender, not a personal commitment. We get those things so mixed up. And we say, I just need to be more committed. I just need to do more. Oh, I know I should be doing this. I just need to, I'm going to do better about this. This is not a personal commitment. You can program a computer to be committed, It will do the same thing at a a particular time and check all the boxes. No, we're talking about a surrender. There's a big difference in commitment and surrender. Commitment says, I'm going to do so much better. Surrender says, Lord God, all I am and all I have and all I ever hope to be belongs to you. You do through me as you see fit. So Jesus is saying, you've got to hate these things. Now, sometimes we say, I don't know. I don't don't hate my mom and dad. I don't hate my children. I don't hate my spouse. What does he mean? He's saying that by comparison, it should look like hate. Meaning you love Jesus so much that anything else that would come along that you would express love, devotion, care, concern for, by comparison, he has to be so far past all of that that by comparison, it would look like hate. Uh, I remember we had Secret Church uh, a few years ago, and uh, one of the prayer points as we were, we were walk, working through Secret Church, we had a simulcast that evening, was we were praying for Iran. And there was this uh, Iranian woman. She was a Christian. She lived there in the country, controlled by, by uh, Islam, And she was a Christian, and this man began to court her. He said he was a Christian. They got married, and then he revealed to her, I'm not really a Christian, I'm really a Muslim. And I'm trying to convert you to Islam. Well, they ended up having a daughter. And he told his wife, if you do not renounce Christianity and walk away from Jesus... I'm going, to, I'm going to have a divorce in the religious court levied against you, and I'm going to take your daughter, and you're never going to see her again. All you have to do is refuse to follow Jesus anymore, turn your back, recant, step back, and you can have your daughter, and everything's fine. They took her to this religious court. 
The cleric looked at her and said, all you have to do is deny Jesus and you can go home and you can have your daughter. And she said, in that moment, I looked at that cleric's face and it was as though I was looking into the face of Jesus himself. And I knew if I denied Jesus, it would be like I was looking Jesus in the face and saying, no. And she said, I cannot do that. They issued the divorce. She has yet to see her little daughter again. Now, I know some people would say, well, I couldn't have done that. Unless you hate your father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I know that's, I mean, that's, that's heavy, that's hard, because we would think, well, but Jesus would never, he would never call anybody to do that. This, this woman did. This woman gave up her child, so to speak, and had asked everybody who was watching, please just pray for her, that God would somehow speak to her and that in some shape, form, or fashion, she would be able to hear the gospel so that she would come to Christ. This woman understood. This is what Jesus is exactly talking about. Listen to 1 John 2.15. I'm sorry. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This is John basically repeating some of the things, some of the principles that Jesus is saying. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. Jesus talks to those who have left behind those things. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Jesus says, if you give up those things for my sake, you're not going to be poorer. You're not going to be bereft of those things in the long term. Now, I know this is heavy. I mean, this is heavy to think about. But this is what Jesus calls us to. We are to love Jesus more than anything that the world has to offer, more than the best that the world has to offer, more important than any of our relationships, more important than any of our allegiances, more important than anything that we're connected to here. Jesus must come first, and everything else, even when I look at my own life, must be regarded as hatred. As compared to the love that I have for Christ, I look at the love that I have for my own life, the love that I have for Christ, the love that I have for my life even has to look like hatred by comparison because he calls us to personal surrender. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You've heard me mention this before. The disciples in Jesus day, when they heard Jesus say, take up your cross, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Because today we have taken the idea of the cross and we've watered it down and tempered it down and we've made the idea of bearing a cross into an inconvenience. Well, you know, I have that negative coworker at work. That's just the cross I bear. I got caught in traffic again. That's just the cross I bear. Oh, we're having meatloaf again. That's just the cross I bear. And we've reduced the idea of bearing a cross down to some sort of inconvenience. That is not what they heard. You didn't, you didn't have one of the disciples saying, yeah, I hear you, Jesus. The cross we bear, yeah, I know. I got this sandal, and you know it's, it's, it's kind of worn through, and I'm always stepping on rocks. Oh, is this the cross? I-? No, it's not some minor daily inconvenience he's talking about. He's talking about dying to self. And we are so far removed from the cross that it doesn't really register with us. I started thinking about it because the cross was considered so socially unacceptable, even among the Romans. The Romans wouldn't even use the word cross in common everyday language because it was considered so offensive and so 
fraught with all sorts of, of, of social concern and all sorts of just, uh, it just wasn't socially acceptable. You just don't talk about that. It makes people uncomfortable and it's just considered really rude and makes people uneasy to talk about that. There's so much negativity surrounding that. And also it's an instrument of torture and cruelty. So I got to thinking, like, what would it be for us? What would it be for us? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying this is the means of redemption. I'm not saying, but, but to our ears, what should it sound like? Well, it may be something like, like a noose, right? We talk about nooses and people get all uncomfortable and uneasy, rightly so. But what if, what if that's the kind of language that we need to look at this in light of the lens? Like what if Jesus said, you know, you have to die to self. You have to hang your own sinful self-will. You have to make a noose, put it around the neck of your own sinful desires, tighten it up, make sure it's a short rope, and then pull that lever and watch your own sinful self-desires struggle and kick and squirm and try to get free. And then watch those sinful self-desires die, turning from red to blue to purple, then to dead. And you do that every single day. That makes you uncomfortable, right? Makes me uncomfortable even saying it. But when the disciples of Jesus heard Jesus say, you have to take up your cross. That's the kind of discomfort they were feeling. That's the kind of repulsion they were feeling with that idea. What? He's saying that we have to take our sinful self-desire, even some things that I may be good that I love about me, and he's saying if they're coming in the way of, of you following me, you have to nail them to a, an old rugged piece of wood and then watch them suffocate, long, hard, terrible death, all sorts of pain and agony and torture. That's what you have to do to your self-will. That's what you have to do to your own sin. That's exactly what he's saying. It's a personal sacrifice. And they understood exactly what he's saying. And when Jesus says stuff like this, people say, I don't like this. I don't know if I want to follow this Jesus. I like this Hallmark kind of Jesus. I like the Jesus holding the little lamb kind of Jesus. I don't like this Jesus saying, you have to die to self. And there's a part of you that has to die, he says. If you're going to follow me, you've got to put all that aside because I'm the most important thing. I am the priority. I am not just number one. I am the only one and everything else I'll provide if you follow me. You find this, this is not the only time we mention. You have other times where there's crowds of people following Jesus. And Jesus starts telling them just like he does here in Luke. He starts giving them the demands of discipleship. He starts separating the entourage from the army. He, stops, he starts separating those who are the, the dinner and a show people from the true death to self people. He starts separating those who, who would come to him just because they want something from him from those who are giving their all for him. And listen, to this is in John 6, 53. Jesus gives them all of these 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 requirements, if you will. He says, this is what it means to really follow me. And then he says in uh, John 6, 53, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life. Can't you imagine Peter sitting there going, there he goes again, saying all these hard things. People aren't going to follow us if he keeps saying stuff like this. And they're thinking, this guy's saying that we have to be cannibals. This guy's saying that we have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. He's talking about fully and completely receiving Jesus into themselves. And then you find later on, just a few verses down in John 6, 66, 
After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. It was too much for him. Jesus said, this is what it means to follow me. They turn away because they're following him for lesser reasons. Jesus then, in verse 67 of John 6, Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter got it. Jesus, there's nowhere else for us to go. Your words that are saying that we have to die to self, those are the words of life. You are the one who gives eternal life by your word. Where else would we go, Jesus? There's an understanding that if you're going to be a crossbearer, it requires personal surrender. Not only that, if you're going to be a crossbearer, it requires intentional sacrifice. Look down at verse 28. Jesus continues, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? Whether he has enough to complete it, otherwise when he, had laid a, he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. There's, a, there's an element of intentional sacrifice. You think about it. You consider it. You count the cost. It says if you're building a tower, you don't just say, well, we'll just kind of, I, I don't know if I have enough. I don't have enough, I have enough materials. I don't know if I have enough money to finish, but we'll just go and we'll just see how far we can get. He said, no, because then you start building and then you reach a point you're not able to finish and everybody mocks you. Or a king who is facing a, an army, an enemy army marching in. Oh, just send, a, send some guys. I don't know. We don't know what their capabilities are. We don't know what they have. Oh, let's just go out and fight them anyway. He says, no. You have to deliberate if you can fight this enemy. Jesus is saying if you're going to follow him, it requires an intentional sacrifice. You think about that sacrifice. Uh, in John chapter 9, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 9, verse 57 these are some people who come to Jesus and are considering following him. Look what happens. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Someone's saying, I'm going to follow you everywhere you go. And Jesus says, just be prepared. That there's, this means that you may leave houses and home." This may, leave, this may mean that you sort of wonder. This is what he's telling them. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, I know some people have said, but he's going to his dad's funeral. He's going to his dad's funeral. And Jesus says, that's not as important as what this is going on here. Well, which is true in the grand scheme of things. But this was a common way of saying, let me first bury my father, was a way of saying, let me first get my inheritance. Meaning that the father wasn't yet dead, but just, just let me wait till I get my inheritance and then I'll have some money to spend along the way. And Jesus, just wait until I'm able to do that and then I'll come with you. Jesus says, no, no, Mm-mm. no, follow me. Let me wait until I get my inheritance. Verse 61, yet another said to him, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No, no, it's, it's you follow me. It's you're totally and completely giving yourself over. It's the intentional sacrifice that goes on. 
I mentioned earlier there was the, there's those, those individuals that try to follow all the do's and don'ts. We have what we've begun referring to as the rich young ruler. We get little tidbits of information from different passages about him. But we find that he goes to Jesus and he wants to follow Jesus. And he tells Jesus, I've, I've obeyed all the commandments from my youth. And notice what Jesus tells him. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Jesus, looking at him, don't miss this phrase, loved him. Jesus isn't saying this out of cruelty or meanness. He's saying it out of love for him. And said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. The Bible then records that he went away sad for he had many possessions. He wasn't willing to give those things up. Jesus knew that was an idol in his heart. And Jesus said, give that up and follow me. It goes back to that idea of personal sacrifice that that we make or that personal surrender that we make. His own cross, your own cross. Each one of us has something that we have to relinquish control of to God. And it may not look exactly the same. It may be lust or envy or greed or pride or anger or all manner of other things. And Jesus says, you've got to lay that aside. You've got to completely and totally lay those things on the cross and die to those things all the time. Because we're all, okay, here's the truth. We're all going to die to something and we're all going to die for something. There is always an altar. You don't get away from that. There is always an altar. You are going to sacrifice your life on some altar. Always. Sometimes we try to split the difference. I'm going to sacrifice on the altar of family. I'm going to sacrifice it on the altar of occupation. I'm going to sacrifice it on the altar of my health. I'm going to sacrifice it on the altar of our nation. No. The idea is, the altar is, the altar where we sacrifice our own lives for God. And everything else comes after that. But no, what we want to do is we want to sacrifice on this altar and that altar and this altar and that altar. I remember a student of mine that I taught many years ago. His name was Jesse. We were talking about presenting ourselves as living sacrifices, as Paul writes in the book of Romans. And Jesse looked at me and he said, Mr. George, you know the big issue with the living sacrifice? I said, what's that? He said, it seems to me it always wants to crawl off that altar. It's true. We always want to try to crawl off the altar and get on some other altar or crawl off the altar and avoid the, avoid the death that is coming, the death to self. Listen, you're, we're all going to give our lives to something. We're all going to give our lives for something. And so we must give our lives for God. We must. And yeah, that's hard right now. But the, it reaps the rewards of eternal life in heaven. But it can be very, very difficult right now. But so many times we want to we sacrifice ourselves on the altar of comfort and convenience now. And we think because things are going well now, that's always going to be the case eternally. It's sort of like whenever you go on a spending spree with your credit card and you get to take all your goodies home. And you're like, oh, this is wonderful. And then you get the bill. And you go, oh, wait a minute. Uh-oh. You either pay up front or you pay later. If you pay later, you pay eternally. This is the problem. So there must be this intentional sacrifice. Listen to Isaiah 40, verse 25. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? The, The words of God. To whom will you compare me? Who am I like? Understood answer, no one. 
And if no one is like God and we have been created by God for God, then can I tell you, no one will satisfy you except for God. You will never be satisfied with lesser things. Ever. Ever. Less than Jesus will never satisfy. This is why we find in Psalm 73, 20, uh, yeah, 25. Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. Wouldn't that be incredible if that could be your prayer? Lord God, there is nothing on earth that I would desire beside you. You're the only one that I want. You're all that I want. You're all that I need. You're all that I desire. There's nothing on earth that, can, that holds any promise of anything that could even compare to my love for you. If you're going to be a cross-bearer, it requires personal surrender, intentional sacrifice, but also being a cross-bearer requires exclusive surrender. Look at verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce, or in some translations forsake, all that he has cannot be my disciple. When Jesus called the first disciples, he was there at the Sea of Galilee, and he, he calls, he's calling some of the first disciples. And as he calls them, we find in Luke chapter 5, verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They renounced it. They, 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 they forsook those things. Now, it's interesting because this word for renounce, this word for forsake in verse 33, it's the same word that is used in a passage we just looked at a little bit earlier. In Luke chapter 9, verse 61, where Jesus is speaking to this individual and the individual says, let me first go and say farewell to my family. That's the same word. You see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, therefore, if any of you who does not say goodbye to all that he has cannot be my disciple. You say goodbye to it. You kiss it all goodbye. That's exclusive submission to the will of God. I'm not holding anything back. There's not anything that I'm clinging to myself. It's all about you, Jesus, completely and totally. I'm going to deny myself, say no to my sinful self-will, and I'm going to say yes to you because we're all going to deny somebody. We're either going to deny self or we're going to deny Jesus. Those are the only two options. We deny ourselves, we deny our sinful self-will, or we, de- we, we deny Jesus. One of those two. This is why we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul writes this, And he, that's Christ, he died for all, that those who live may, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. If you're going to be a true cross-bearer, can I tell you what you'll do? You will hold nothing back. Because a person who's a true cross-bearer knows no one is half-crucified. You're either crucified or you're not. No one's half crucified. Oh, I'm mostly crucified. I'm partially crucified. No, you're either crucified or you're not. And every one of us is tempted to hold something back from the nails. Every single one of us. It requires us to daily practice an exclusive surrender. And that means more than just in name. You know, there are passages I read in the Bible, and some of them are just really disturbing to me. Like I read them and I think, ooh, this is terrifying. This is so frightening to think of. One of those passages is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Listen to the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
On that day, that's that final day, right? On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Wait a minute. Here are these people saying, we called you Lord in your name, we prophesied, we, we taught, we, we had these things that we were teaching about truth. We cast out demons. We performed miracles all in your name. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Not I knew you then you stepped away. No, I never knew you. You were never mine. There's just power in the name of Jesus. But Jesus is saying, this name, the name that you're exercising power and using, it's never been applied to your life. You're doing it in my name, but you are not part of me. So it doesn't matter what we call ourselves. It matters if Christ calls us that. It doesn't matter if we call ourselves Christian. It matters, does Jesus call us Christian? Name only is not enough. Nominal, you heard me say this the other week, nominal is not normal. Normal is Jesus. Normal is giving up our lives. Normal is being a cross-bearer. That is the biblical standard and the biblical norm. We've taken nominal, partway, halfway. I'll worship him when it's convenient. I'll do these things when I want to. I'm going to avoid being involved in community. I'll, yeah, I mean, you know, Jesus, you know, we'll say things like, well, I just believe I just need to do the best I can and leave the rest to the Lord. Do you, you see what that is? That's nominal. That's just nominalism. That's marginal. That may not even be over the line, so to speak. Jesus says, you're going to follow me. You have to be a cross bearer. You have to sacrifice your own sinful self. And Jesus gave all of himself for us. And then we have the audacity. I'm speaking about myself too. We have the audacity to turn around and just give a portion of ourselves back to him. He gave everything for us. And then we turn around and say, well, he can have 25% of my life. Or he can have 75% of my life. Or I'll give him 99%, but that 1%, he knows that, he knows that, he knows that I mean, he, he knows that I love these things. And, and he wouldn't ask for that. It may be that 1% that's keeping you from walking in the light of the revelation of Jesus and fully experiencing everything that he has. Because so many times we want to fit God into what we're doing. How can we fit God into what's happening in America? Look, we need God so he'll fix things. We need God so he'll fix this portion of my life. I need God so that he'll fix my marriage. I need God so we'll do this. But then the rest of the time, we want God to stay out of the way. And we don't want him to, be, we don't want him to bother us. That's not what we find here. Where does God fit into what I'm doing? That's the acme of selfishness. Where do I fit into what God wants to do in his world, in his creation, for his kingdom, for his glory? That's the real question. No matter what that costs. We give it all up, every bit of it. This is why once you see all of this, then Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 make a whole lot more sense. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter, it, enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. See what he's saying? There are few true followers of there, because there are few true cross bearers. Now I know we say, yeah, but Jesus bore that cross so I wouldn't have to. Yeah, the cross for your sin, shame, and selfishness, yes. But our daily cross 
that we bear as we die to our sin and our shame and our selfishness by the power of the Spirit, that's very much our cross. He died a once-for-all death to secure our salvation, and we die a daily death in our worship to him. There's no way around it. If you're not a cross-bearer, that means that you're just telling Jesus, no, I'm, I'm, according to this passage, we're not even really following him. So where is it? Where is it that God's dealing with you? Personal surrender, your surrender, your sacrifice, your submission. Where is it that you've said, no, I'm going to do it myself? What have you been holding back from the nails? What have you been saying? No, I'm not putting that on the altar. No, 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 not that. Can I tell you that one thing that you're refusing to put on the altar may be the very thing that's hindering you from seeing God work in your life in the way that brings in the most glory, honor, and praise. Oh, but it's such a little thing. Why would God put his finger on that? Well, if it's that little of a thing, you shouldn't have a problem giving it up. Now, should you? God reminds me of that often when I try to use that argument. Oh, God, it's such a little thing. Well, good, then you're not even going to miss it. Oh. Because <laughs> it's not a little thing to us. If we're going to be cross bearers, if we're going to be the true few followers of Christ, then this is what it looks like. These aren't my words, these are his words. This is what he says. We give it up for him. How could I, with a clear biblical view of the fact that the perfect son of God came to earth and died in my place, bled, suffered, died, was tortured, was humiliated, was made a public spectacle, all for my sake. And I'm not speaking from a place of guilt here. I'm saying as I think through this, and how could I look at that, the cruelty of that cross, the one that I deserve, and then say, no, thank you for that. But, I'm, but now you're going to help me live for myself. That's, that's not biblical. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus gave us the example of what it means to bear a cross. He held nothing back. And he tells us in return, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be a cross bearer. And if you're going to be a cross bearer, you're going to be a cross bearer for me. And if you're going to be a cross bearer for me, just as I did, you must hold nothing back. Let's pray. Lord God, your word. Uh, your word cuts us right down to the depth of anything that we want to try to put between you and us. Your word's a dividing line. Jesus is a dividing line. There's, there's not a lot of wiggle room that we find where we can look at passages like this and say, yeah, but... 
Or maybe he meant this, or, oh, it's not that serious, or, oh, I can get by as I've been getting by. Jesus doesn't allow that. Your word doesn't allow that. We're in or out. We're with you or against you. He doesn't tolerate lukewarm. Father, I know that, like me, there's probably a lot of people here who are saying, this is, just, this is hard. This is hard sayings. These are the hard sayings of Jesus. And looking at this, there are some things that I've held back. There are some things I don't want to put on the altar. There are some things that I'm trying to, to, to sneak around the cross with. Things that I've tried to hide or things that I've just tried to ignore. Things that, that God is saying, those those things, child, they belong on the cross. And I pray if anybody else has anything like that, Father, I pray today would be the day they would say, yes, God, I want to surrender that, nail it to the cross, and then continue to nail it to the cross if they have to do it a hundred times every day. We're living sacrifices. Lord God, may we stay put on the altar for Christ. Father, I pray for those who may be watching, listening, may be here. Maybe even thinking about what does it mean to follow Christ. Well, this is it. Saying goodbye to everything else for the glory and honor of knowing you. Of knowing you, Father, through Jesus. Of, of being counted part of your family. But this is what it means. It's not something we work up ourselves. It's not something we can accomplish by our own. It's the power of the gospel. That Jesus came and lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, and was raised to life again. He paid for our sins. If we trust him in faith that he is who he says he is, and he did exactly what he says that he did, and he will save us if we trust in him, turn away from our sins, turn toward him, surrender our lives, that we'll be saved. We'll know eternal life. And then we'll, we'll bear that evidence out that we are his true followers by bearing our cross daily. Father, I pray today would be the day many would make a decision to follow you. Father, there may be, there may be countless things that may be going on in our lives and hearts right now that you've been pressing upon us to just nail that to the cross. Don't hold it back from the nails. Surrender it. Surrender it fully to me. Father, I pray today would be the day that someone would do just that. And in this time, Father, of response, if there's any decision that needs to be made, whatever that looks like, following Christ in baptism, joining the church, wanting to talk to somebody about how, how they can know that they know Jesus is Savior and Lord. I pray that today would be the day that you would grant them that boldness and that strength and that courage to respond. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.